Today's scripture is pretty brief. It's um, from Matthew chapter 13, verses 45 to 46, and I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the word of God. Good afternoon. How's everyone doing? It's good seeing people mingle. I think we're getting better at getting up and, and saying hello to each other. Matthew 13, very short. Maybe you guys missed uh, the scripture reading. Let me just read for us one more time. Can, can we have the scripture on, on the screen again? Very short. Don't miss it. Another parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and brought it. I think we missed verse 44. Let me read verse 44 as well, because it's going to be 44, 45, 46. And I don't have internet. I don't have internet. Okay. I do have internet. One second. Okay. This is um, 40. We missed 40, 44, 44. Let me read 44 as well. I was like, oh, that's really short. It's probably my bad. Sorry, guys, production team. All right, 44. Let me read the whole thing again. Before the pearl, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and brought, bought it. Let's pray. It's been an interesting morning, interesting afternoon. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we ask for your mercy. We ask for your grace. Um, Holy Spirit, would you open up this wonderful words of Jesus? Jesus, you said, those who have ears, let him hear. We want to hear. Speak to us. Be with us. Move us. Just let me pray. Amen. This week, uh, last week we were... Also in Mark 4, another parable. The Mark 4 parable, the parable of the soil, is actually also found in Matthew 13. I know Charles' group, they do pre-sermon talk, pre-sermon discussion. And I know Matthew 13, they went over the whole Matthew 13. And Matthew 13 actually begins with this, there, there's six parables in total, and really begins with the parable of soil. So this is sort of a related parable to last week's teaching. And this parable... Uh, is found in Matthew 13 as well, and, and, and really the bigger part of this Jesus' teaching on what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus is the king, he comes and he says, let me teach you about the new world that you're about to enter. Let me show you the world that I'm bringing, right? And, and so, so we're going to look at these two very short parables, the parable of a man who found hidden treasure buys the land and lifts up the treasure. About a merchant goes looking for this pearl, particular pearl, finds it, sells everything out of great joy to purchase the pearl, right? Uh, very short parables, and they're merely identical. Right? It's, it's a twin parable because really both parables, parables about this man, hidden treasure, and the merchant with the pearl, really telling the same story. Jesus has one lesson with these two parables. And reputation in scripture, we know reputation is actually 
It's very important. Whenever Jesus repeats, truly, truly, I tell you, whenever stories repeated throughout Scripture, we know that's actually important. We should take notice. So there are two men in the story, right? Two different stories. Uh, and both men find something of great value. A man finds hidden treasure. A merchant finds this great pearl of great value. And out of, out of joy, they both sell everything they, they own in order to purchase or in order to get something of greater value. For the man who found a hidden treasure, verses 44, you know, it was very common back in the days for people to hide their treasure underground, right? Banking system was not as robust as today. There was no stock market. You can invest as well, right? So what people did was good old banking system. They dug, the, dug a hole and they just put their treasure there to protect it. Especially during the times of war, people would hide their valuables and keep them from uh, rooting soldiers. And sometimes the owners will not survive the war, right? So you could purchase the land and, and that land happens to have this amazing treasure. This was a common thing. And it was important, if you, if you were that person that found this hidden treasure, it was important that before you lift up the treasure from the ground, you take legal measures to purchase the land for obvious reasons. So the man in the story, by buying the land before lifting the treasure that he's found, he's removing all possibility of any kind of dispute. This is his land. He found the treasure. It's his. It's a very common story that Jesus is telling to, to tell, a, 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 tell, tell the people about what the kingdom of God is like. So three ways I want to look at this parable. Three ways I want to divide uh, my, my sermon today. One is motivation. Second is movement. And three, model. Motivation, movement, and model. First, the question we, we, we ought to ask is what motivated these men to sell off everything they own? That's a big deal, to sell everything that they have. And Jesus, in verse 44, talking about the man who found this hidden treasure, he says, Charles Auto, out of joy. That's the Greek. Charles Auto, out of joy. It is out of joy that this man sells everything he's, he's owned to purchase the land. Not out of fear of missing out, not some kind of FOMO, not the sense of obligation, not because someone told them it's a good investment, but really out of pure joy. That's the word. It's joy for both men. That, challenge, that motivates these men to take action, to go off and sell everything they own, to be able to get something that's of greater value. So friends, the first thing that Jesus wants to speak to us about through this parable is that joy is essential to the health of our church. Let me repeat myself. Joy, everyone smile a little bit. Joy is essential to the health of church. Sometimes I visit a church. I was away for about four weeks. Some I go to church and people are not joyful. I'm like, okay, we came here and people look upset. People look sad. People look like they're here because someone told them to be there. No. You see, the first thing we see is that joy, being joyful is essential to health of our faith. The scripture throughout Old Testament to New Testament is very clear regarding joy. Right? The people of God are supposed to be characterized by rejoicing. 
Joy is not a garnish on a dutiful entree of a Christian faith. Joy is not the icing on the cake, but it is an integral part of how the whole thing works. If you look at scripture through Psalms, through Isaiah, through New Testament, Jesus, through Paul, joy is a major theme, not just icing on the cake. And God has remained consistent throughout Scripture. Many Psalms, too many to count, encourage us to seek joy in our Maker, to, to come glad before our King. You, you move over to New Testament, John 15. The, this is Jesus. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. These things I've spoken to, I've spoken these, the rule of life to you that why? That you'll be good soldiers? That you'll be a good Christian? Sure, but he says, no, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Is that what you guys think when you guys open up scripture for devotional? I confess to you, a lot of times I feel like, oh, as a pastor, I should do devotional, right? So I, I do it. I rush through it. But, but, but Jesus says, no, when you open up Scripture, when you open up my word, this is there to give you joy. That's not, and, and then Paul comes along, Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote half, more than half of the New Testament, he, he writes a whole letter regarding the subject of rejoicing. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. I mean, the Philippians book, rejoice, rejoice. May, may Christ's joy be in you is his repeated theme. And he says in Philippians chapter 3, 1, he says, Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Interesting. Paul says it is safe for us. The Greek word is, Asphalos, asphalos, as my Greek professors would be embarrassed of me, okay. Asphalos, which literally means, this idea of safe, which literally means to be certain and sure. So what Paul is saying is, when you and I rejoice, no matter what's happening around us, it brings, it provides certainty. It, it provides this sense of sureness to what you believe. That means when you and I, when we fail to operate out of joy, when we operate without joy, we're walking on thin ice. Again, joy is not some icing on the cake. It is an essential, integral part of what it means for you and I to be a Christian. Yet let's not get this joy confused with some sense of upbeat emotions, right? You've heard it many times in the church. Joy in Christ is not positive thinking. It's not optimistic personality, nor being happy because life seems to be going your way. You've heard it many times. Joy in Christ has no real correlation with life circumstance. Joy that Jesus wants you and I to experience is actually under indicative of good in Jesus himself. So whenever the scripture encourages or commands us to rejoice, it's not about look at your life, look at what's happening. When Habakkuk prays that, that famous prayer, I'll still worship, no cattle, no barns, no money, no reputation, I'll still worship. When he sings that, it's not about his circumstance. 
It's a confession in who God is and what God has given him and what God is providing and what, what God has mapped out for his life. You see, joy is to rely and trust and surrender because ultimately we trust that God knows best. God knows what we truly need. A famous preacher named George Mueller, um, he's, a, he's an amazing evangelist. He, says, he said this about joy, and I quote, and he was an amazing evangelist. Thousands, maybe, maybe even, even tens and thousands would come to the Lord the preaching of George Mueller. He says, and I quote, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how the inner life might be nourished. Mueller says, joy is the first thing you and I need to seek. Whether you are a lawyer, whether you are a teacher, whether you are a pastor, whether you are a missionary, and the needs are great, and you want to do amazing things for the Lord, Mueller says, no, first, you, the first thing you got to, the first business you got to take care of is, is find nourishment in who Christ is and allow that nourishment to give you this sense of happiness in Christ. C.S. Lewis, a very, a very respected scholar, you know, articulate, very intelligent, very high intellect, right? Really interesting. He writes this book called Surprised by Joy. And in the book, Lewis tells, tells us his journey of how actually him as a skeptic, he was a skeptic. He was this very smart, very intellectual individual. And he heard what the gospel was about. He heard, he read the Bible, and he was just considering what all these things meant. And one day he, he writes this book called Surprised by Joy. And he says, it's, it says, it, it was none other than joy that tipped the scale for him. And you think about Lewis, it's like brilliant mind, amazing writer. And then he says, it was actually joy that tipped the scale for me. It was joy that transformed the most staunch atheist into a son. Those are words of Lewis. Joy is what awakens us. Joy is what allows us to move beyond our, 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 our questions. And Listen to Dale Bruner. He's a, he's a scholar that we've been, I've been following uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. Dale Bruner, he says... This is about the church and Christians. What we need first is a season of Jesus stories where we hear facts before orders, joy before sacrifice, discovery before decisions, gospel before law, be attitudes before commands. And when Jesus, the treasure is found, then we will be carried away by joy almost without being told to do so. Really, if, if we truly understood the joy that we can find in Christ, we don't have to make all these announcements about, oh, we need worship leaders. We need people to serve in children's ministry. We need people with this. No, if we truly understood the joy that we, we, that we can receive in Christ, none of these things will just happen. 
In fact, you know, so many people come and serve in our church, not because we ask, but out of joy. They want to be involved. They want to serve out of joy. Joy is what moves, moves us to action, like these men in the story. Yet if we're really honest, the truth is rejoicing always is not easy. Anyone say, I, I rejoice every day in the city of soul with the pace and the challenges and the relationships. It is much easier to become jaded. It is much easier to become mistrusting of others. I mean, there's a, there's a reason why New Yorkers are New Yorkers, right? And they actually really love, I think New Yorkers genuinely love being like rude. It was like they, this is their identity. Because the pace, Aaron's laughing because she's a New Yorker. Soul's like, I think Soul's quickly becoming like next New York. People are mean. I was in North Carolina. I was like, wow, people are so nice. They'll wait for you. I was getting so annoyed at Target because, you know, when you're driving and even people are like 100 feet away, you have to stop. I'm like, oh, I got to go. What are these people doing? People are so, it's like almost like pressure for me to run because people are like, they stop their car so far away, I have to like run across, right? It's like, just go. I don't want to run. It's hot. Joy is hard. Just getting coffee. I get, I, I get annoyed just getting coffee because people came before me and I have to wait for my order. I get annoyed. But this week, I had a chance to grab dinner with someone who's, who's, who's visiting our community. He's on a short assignment. And, and when he told me he was 67, and that's like older than my dad, 67, I was like shocked. Not only did he look much younger than 67, but he has so much gratitude and passion at his age. I, I, I couldn't believe it, right? And, and, you know, we sat down for our first meal, and we're just sharing, and he shared his story. And just I was like, you got to write a book. Crazy story of being a doctor and then businessman, all these things. And out of all the conversation, he's like, Sangmin, this is the most important thing I've learned. When older person tells you, when older person who's lived further down the road, I didn't say old, older. We got to pay attention, right? I don't get to hang out with a 67-year-old all the time, right? Pay attention. And he's telling me the most important thing, you, you worry about so many things, but the most important thing, and he said, if you could do this well, everything else is going to take care of itself. He says, manage your grace, I was like, I thought he said, manage your stress. I was like, yeah, I need that. He's like, no, 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 no. Not manage your stress, manage your grace. Because when you think about it, everything in life is a gift. So, so simple, yet that hit me like a brick. I, you know, I needed that reminder because as we came back from our trip and as things were getting busier and busier, you know, I was just, I was, I was just already getting overwhelmed with life. I, I, I forget so often that life is a gift, right? This ministry, I get to come and serve and preach is a gift, right? My wife, Lois, she's wonderful. She's like amazing. She's a gift. You'd marry someone like me, that's a gift. You guys agree, right? And my two girls, even though the second one gives me a lot of trouble, she's still a gift. Everything I have Literally, everything I have now is a gift. 
But the lie that we often fall into and this toxic lie is that I own this stuff. I deserve more. I should demand more. And, 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 and you know, there's nothing good that can come out when you operate from the sense of entitlement, right? When you and I operate out of seeing life as a gift, everything you have as a gift, you know what that protects us from? The sin of entitlement. Anyone like entitled people? Nobody, right? Nobody likes entitled people, right? We know. We, everyone knows. No one likes entitled people. We all know entitlement does nothing good for us. In fact, entitlement destroys relationships. It causes us to, to live in constant disappointment because we feel like we deserve more. And it, it leads us to depression. So, so friends, let me remind you that the wisdom of a 67-year-old man, he says, everything you have, they're not yours. you got to manage grace because everything you have is a gift. And when you and I operate in that reality, our relationship with everything will begin to change. How do you get joy? There are many ways to joy, but I think one simple nugget is Know that everything is a gift and there's a giver. In fact, there's another parable we might study down the road where a giver one day would ask for our account. How'd you use my stuff? That's another sermon. So joy is the motivation and joy is not icing on the cake. Amen? You guys are like so joyful. <laughs> yeah, man. Joyfully, amen. Second, second is movement. What we see is movement. There's motivation, is joy, and there's movement. Jesus tells us through the parable, these men, both men, out of their great joy, they immediately sell everything in order to purchase the treasure. So, so sacrificial life, it is part of Christian living. Let no one tell you you don't have to sacrifice by becoming a Christian. No, sacrificial life is a, a huge part of what it means to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said it repeatedly, carry your cross if you want to follow me, right? But notice, joy enables selling. But only selling gets the treasure. Right? These men could be all joyful as much as they want, but unless they move to action and, and, and sacrifice, they're not going to be able to get the treasure. The order is very important. This order of joy and movement is very important. Let me explain. If it's, it's the joy that moves these men to action, not the other way around. When we are not motivated by joy in Christ, all of our doing, whatever you're doing, will eventually make us resentful. One of the stories that I often tell is the story of two sons in Luke 15, the prodigal sons. You know, it's known as prodigal son, but when you really read the story, there are two sons that are, that are lost. There's a law-breaking son and there's law-abiding son. And Luke 15, the older son, who comes in the later, of, later story, the one who's always remained home, the one who's got the good grades, got good education, obeyed the father, did all the work that he needed, he needed to do, never missed a day of work. At the end of that story, he's resentful. He's so angry that he would not even come into the celebration, right? He, he, 
he did all the things right. He, he followed all the rules, but he never truly understood his identity as a son, as a first son of the house. So when the younger son comes home, squandering the father's money or the family money, and the father receives him by putting on a celebration, the older son throws a fit. He says, you gave him a calf? You gave him the celebration and I don't get a goat? You see, and what's really interesting in that context is Jesus is actually speaking to a group of tax collectors. Luke 15, 1 through 3, the tax collectors come. I'm sorry, not tax collectors. He's speaking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees come and says, Jesus, why are you inviting, letting these tax collectors and sinners come? And why are you interacting with them? Why, why don't you interact with us? And Jesus says, let me tell you a story about these two sons. Really, when you look at that story, it's about Jesus trying to convince the Pharisees, trying to show Pharisees that you guys are like older brothers. You follow all the rules. You do all the right things. But in the end, you're just bitter, resentful. And perhaps when you read Luke 15, you might feel more like an older brother. Many who grew up in the church feel like older brother, more than the younger brother. Right? Instead of rejoicing, seeing life as a gift, you feel... Like God owes you. You followed all the rules. You obeyed. You remained in the church. You came to church through COVID. When everyone left, I'm still here. But joy is not, there's no joy in the way we live out our faith. And I met many older sons in the church that are just there and, the, you know, just unhappy wanting more from, you know, just, I've seen so many older brothers, older sons. Again, friends, joy is not icing on the cake. Joy is essential to our faith. Can I make myself more clear? I've repeated that probably like four or five times. Joy is not icing the cake. It is essential to our faith. So back to the parable. You see, for these men, they had no qualms about giving away all of their stuff because they had no doubt what they were willing to give away was far less valuable than what they can gain by giving this stuff away. Right? This was a great bargain. For the merchant that found the pearl, he understood what he was receiving. So it was a bargain. Right? Anyone like bargains? You know, I was visiting home. Uh, nice, you know. I was visiting home, right? You know, Lois and I, we've been married for 10 years. And whenever we go shopping, we have a completely different style. I, I just buy a bunch of stuff that we don't need. And, I, and then I was like, why do I do that, right? Every time I go to Costco, I just buy a bunch of stuff that's on sale. Dude, guess what? I go home, and this is my mom. I'm like, just like my mom. Like, my mom would go, and she'd be like, okay, I'm going to buy two things. She'll come back with, like, all this stuff that was, like, on sale. It's, it, she was, I, I didn't know what to do with this stuff. We don't even eat this stuff. But she's like, oh, it's, it's on sale. It's like, these pants, it's on sale. You got to wear it. I'm like, mom, it's like four size big. It's okay. You can wear it, right? I realized living in that kind of, right? And my mom loves bargains. It's just a story for you guys. It doesn't, it doesn't have much to do with this. I realized, wow, like I need to change the way I, I shop because I, I love bargains. Yet can we, can we confidently say, when we look at this story, can we confidently say, when you think about what you have in Christ, 
what you have gained through Christ is far better than anything we can gain outside of him. Do you, do you, when, when, when you think about the Lord, when you think about Jesus and what he's done for you, do you really see it as a bargain? Do you really see it as I've received something amazing, far greater than anything I can receive on my own? Let's go one layer deeper. Can we confidently say God's purpose for your life is far better than what you want out of your own life? This, this is the question I struggle with. Like living in Korea, doing English ministry. These are challenges, right? I think about it like, I have a daydream about other things and, and my heart is always daydreaming and wanting different things. And can I really say, God, I, I am satisfied. It, even if like things don't go according to what I thought, even if things don't pan out the way I thought, right? Can, can I really say, man, I, God has been so good to me. Can you really say, God has been really good to me? Like all of us have a, have a choice to make. God's not going to force us to make that decision. No one else can choose for you. So in the, in the story, right, selling everything isn't simply about giving away their possession actually. Right, that's what these men did. But really Jesus is teaching a parable and he wants to give us practical wisdom, right? It's not simply about giving away their possession. In the bigger scheme of things, it signals this idea of surrender and alignment. Alignment. See, a few chapters later in chapter 18, Jesus has another parable, another very important parable for people that want to follow him. This parable about unforgiving servant. We know the story. There's this man who owes someone much bigger debt and the king forgives him. And the man, after being forgiven, walks out, sees a friend who owes him much less, demands that that man pays him back, puts him in jail for not paying him back. And the king finds out and king's like, what the heck? I just forgave you of so much. You don't realize what you've been forgiven of? Like that, that, that parable? If you interpret that parable in light of our text, selling everything means... To forgive those who have wronged us. Forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is, is, is really hard. Trust me, forgiving for me is the hardest thing. So, so really, why should Christians forgive? People wronged us. People are mean. People have made us miserable. Why should we forgive? Not because forgiveness is good for our health or learning to forgive will lower our stress. No, forgive because out of great joy knowing that we have been forgiven of greater debt. See, only someone who truly understands what we have been forgiven of can turn around and forgive others. But again, I'll be honest with you, forgiving someone is not easy. Obedience is not easy. Trusting God's wisdom is not easy. We are broken people, often emotionally inconsistent, spiritually dull. When we hear the call to rejoice, it could feel like another burden to shoulder. When we hear this call to forgive, it feels like another burden. 
But friends, let me remind us, our joylessness is not the end of the story, right? Third, the model. You see, the wonderful truth is that God himself is utterly committed to our everlasting joy in him. Through these parables, we see the depth of joy and sacrifice, not what he demands of us only, but God the Son. Verse 45, like a merchant in search of fine pearls. I love how there is a little bit of difference between the first parable and the second parable. First parable, the guy runs into a hidden treasure. Second parable, a merchant actually is looking for pearls and he finds it. It's very interesting. That's the only difference in these two parables. But isn't this the wonderful reflection of the gospel? Jesus is like the merchant in the story. If we reverse the story, right? If we see the merchant, that is Jesus. He came into creation, the world he's created, broken, messed up, world that hates him. He came into the world to look for you and I. Even when we're covered in sin and filth and shame and lies, he saw us not as what we did, but as who we are made in the image of God as pearls. And he so clearly knew how much the Father longed for us. And the book of Hebrews tells us again, for the joy, it wasn't for the duty, for the call, but it says for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, even the cross. He endured it not out of duty, but out of joy. Like the merchant in the story. And out of that very joy, he willingly sacrificed everything. He sold everything. He didn't consider his own life more valuable. The one who knew no sin became sin for us. And by his wounds, we have been healed. By his righteousness, we are made righteous. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and we are in Christ, amen? Amen? We are made new. We are made new today. Before you enter these doors, maybe you are struggling with something. Maybe you've been thinking about something. Maybe you're a regret, an argument. Maybe you're struggling with something even harder, something even deeper. Well, when you came into these doors, you are made new again. Friends, we have a Savior who knows us fully. This, this is what boggles my mind about the gospel. God knows me fully. But if, if you guys knew me fully, you guys really knew what I was thinking all the time, you would not, I would not be your pastor. If you, if, you, if you knew what I was thinking, I'm driving the city of Seoul, like yesterday, you would not be here. But Jesus knows us fully, who knows our sins, our failures, our greed, our anger, things that nobody else knows, he knows. Yet he loves us. He died to release us from those sins. Isn't that what we all want? No matter who you are, what we want out of life, out of our relationships, to be fully known and fully loved. Friends, only when we live, breathe, play, rest, and work in that reality of being fully known and fully loved our resentment, anger, bitterness, entitlement give way to joy. 
encourage you guys, let's manage our grace. Let's manage our grace. Not manage our stress. Manage our grace. Amen? Life is a gift. Let me pray for us. Father, we repent of our own attitudes when we think about life. Father, we repent of just being so caught up in what we think about ourselves, being caught up in what we want out of life, even thinking like the older brother in the, in the story of the prodigal sons, like, God, you owe me. You owe me because I lived right. Father, forgive us. And Father, would you renew us? I know people, the size of this room, I know there are some people that are just struggling, that are struggling with resentment, that are struggling with this, this call to forgive, struggling with identity, struggling with contentment. Would you release us again? Would you allow these, this word to be fresh to our ears? so that we can learn to manage grace, to steward grace, because none of what we have, none of what we think we have or what we think we've earned is ours. And one day, Lord, we're going to have to face you, and we're going to have to give account. Help us live in that reality. Just in we pray. Amen.